0: All right, as the kids are being dismissed, let me invite you to open your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Colossians, chapter 3. As you're finding Colossians, I want to give you an update. It's a new year. Happy New Year to all of you. And I know that you'll spend time, you probably already have, you may spend more today, reflecting on this last year, looking forward with hope and uh, with dreams and vision in the new year. I just want to give you a quick update on one area of ministry that we haven't talked about a lot recently. Uh, as many of you know, Peter and Lori Braswell bought um, a home that we finally call the Mercy House. Um, it was an abandoned house on their street, and we started talking back in April or May. Um, I remember distinctly uh, the spot that I was in when I texted Peter and said, have you prayed about... Um, Have you prayed about using the house and partnering with safe families? And Peter wrote me back and said, you're not the first person to ask me that question. And we prayed and sought the Lord, and um, it seemed that God was uh, leading us forward. And then in June, we asked all of you that you would join in and that you would pray with us. And then we really... um, Kick things into high gear. Peter had been working. Peter and Lori had been working really hard um, on their own, but we began to come around them financially. Um, we put up a, a site on uh, youcaring.com, and just a quick update: last year we saw the Lord um, raise over eighteen thousand dollars in donations through the youcaring site. And we also had a $12,000 donation that came um, just over the Christmas break through a foundation company that wants to um, help uh, take care of the foundation issues. They were hoping to donate a three dollars to $4,000 project. They heard about the house through friends, came and checked it out, saw that it needed a lot of work, and now they're donating $12,000 worth of work. And so that's a total of $30,000 in donations that we've seen the Lord raise in the last six months. Praise be to God. Amen? Yeah, I think we could clap for that. I mean, you don't have to, but I, uh, I was just doing some of the math yesterday and looking back. There's this temptation for each of us to think that, God really isn't at work, that he isn't on the move, at least not in our lives. So easy to focus on all the things that didn't go our way or as we had planned. And in the midst of that, we see that God is at work. And uh, we're we're excited Um, in the next probably 60 days or so, um, give or take. We hope to see construction come to an end and some moms um, have shelter under that roof, some single moms, and we're excited to begin that phase of ministry, which will be completely different than the construction phase. So pretty exciting. Colossians chapter 3, as you look um, in Colossians, I want to read verses 12 through 17. I've entitled this message, Virtuous resolutions. Paul writes to the church at Colossae in verse 12. Follow along with me as I read. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing hymns, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. I personally love the new year. There is something about a new year that causes the natural desires just to well up within us to clean things up, to pick things up, to get things in order and organized. You'll see people who are jogging on January 1st and 2nd, and they'll never jog another day of the year. But on January 1st and 2nd, they're out for a run. Just this last week, um, my wife Katie cleaned our front porch and our attic, she organized our attic. I, I cleaned up my office, I organized my library in my office. I mean, who does this kind of stuff, right? Where does the motivation come from within us? Just a natural motivation to get organized. And not only just that motivation, but there's also there's a sense of nostalgia and even meditation that that everyone feels. You, you hear it. I was sitting in a couple of different coffee shops this week, and I heard people processing their lives in a way that we don't normally pause in order to look back. And I heard a lot of people talking about 2016 as a year that they wanted to get behind them. A lot of Hollywood stars have passed away. We've been through a stressful election. There's a lot of other factors that have built up in our personal lives, and there's many people who are looking forward with anticipation to 2017. What is it about a new year that brings about all this processing and nostalgia and hopes for something new? Is it just a fad? Is it something that Western culture has adopted? The truth is, you don't have to do a lot of digging to figure out that historically, uh, the New Year is is something that's been practiced for thousands of years. It stretches all the way back uh, four thousand years to the Babylonian Empire. We can trace the common practice uh, that the Babylonians would worship their gods to return that they would return borrowed possessions. And they would attempt to repay outstanding debts, all with the belief that their gods might show them grace in the planting season, that they would show them grace throughout the year if their deeds were done. So New Year's is this time of reflecting and making goals, and I think that's a really good thing, a really good thing. Because the truth of the matter is we all need to change. There's change that needs to pay Take place in all of our lives. And that's what resolutions are all about. That's what makes resolutions such a good thing. Because to stop changing is, in a sense, to give up. To stop changing is to lose hope. To stop changing is, in a sense, to become a loser. I'm not calling you a loser, but honestly, no one likes to lose. No one says, I really enjoy losing. But for the Christian, resolutions, as good as they are, they don't go far enough. They don't go deep enough. Because resolutions began as people made promises to their gods 4,000 years ago, and now people simply make promises to themselves. And so one of the problems with resolutions is this. They're mainly focused on self-improvement, which is a good thing. But the gospel of Jesus calls us to go so much deeper, not simply to focus on self-improvement, but the gospel invites us to, to join with Jesus in the work of kingdom improvement. Not simply focusing on ourselves, but seeing the gospel at work in Yes, our own life in our neighborhood, within our city, and within the lives of people who are around us. And so today, um, I want to examine what, what I'm calling virtuous resolutions. Virtuous resolutions. And we'll see how this way of living that, that is called the Christian life, that resolutions, in a sense, should become second nature to us. That for the Christian who's growing in the grace of Jesus, resolution should be a daily activity in which change is taking place, not on an annual basis, but on a daily basis. Look with me in God's Word. In the book of Colossians, Paul writes to the people at the church at Colossae, and one of his main purposes in writing was to warn the church against strict rule-keeping and legalistic ideas. Now, this is really important when we think about resolutions and when we think about taking responsibility in our lives and for our lives— in this context, Paul is writing to a church who had been experiencing a lot of false teaching, and the false teachers had been—they uh, had been bringing about strict rule keeping and legalistic ideas. False teachers were proclaiming that the way to God was through activity, and it was through um, religious festivals and through rules. And Paul writes in order to correct the legalistic teaching that's been presented to them and to present God's grace to them. But in that context, I want you to notice that as we jump in at verse 12, even though there's been rule-keeping and legalistic activity, Paul still doesn't step away from clear instruction. Notice that even in guiding the church at Colossae away from religious practices practices they had been putting their confidence in, Paul still gives instructions regarding the church's responsibility. Look at verse 12. He says, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. He uses this word, put on. It's an imperative. It's a command. Now, let me ask you a question. If you are a Christian, who is responsible for your personal growth and maturity? If you're a Christian, who's responsible for your personal growth and maturity? Is it you or is it the church? What do you think? How many of you would say, uh, it's me. I'm responsible for my personal growth and maturity. A few hands go up. How many would say it's the church's responsibility for my personal growth and maturity? A few hands go up. I think the answer is yes. That it is our responsibility for our own personal growth. Paul says, put on. It's a command. And at the same time, we can't grow alone. We need the church In order for discipleship to happen. And so Paul gives us this imperative and a command. And I just want to, I want to cause us to stop and process for a moment in our lives. How are we doing with the imperatives of Scripture? How are we doing with the responsibility that God has given us to mature in Christ? Is your goal in 2017 to look more like Jesus and to act more like Jesus in 2017 than you did in 2016? And if so, how are you going to get there? Do you have clear vision and objectives that you've set? Too many of us, I'm afraid, too many Christians, in an attempt to turn away from legalism, have let go of all responsibility. I think too many Christians have swung the pendulum from legalism and, and, and they've swung the pendulum all the way to the other side of license, and they operate purely by emotion and what feels natural. I think in fact, the majority of Christians probably live their lives this way. They live their lives according to what feels good and what feels natural, even when it comes to especially when it comes to pursuing God. You may not say this. Some people do. But subconsciously, I think that many of you think this freedom in Jesus should feel free or maybe subconsciously. It sounds more like, yeah, man, freedom in Jesus should feel free. And that comes out in our lives in a lot of different ways. Like maybe you no longer set aside meaningful time for prayer because, man, freedom in Jesus should feel free. So, dude, I just want to keep it casual. Like So do you ever spend time in meaningful... No, man, I used to do that, but that's like so legalistic. And, dude, I got caught up in the legalism thing, and so, man, I just keep it casual. Like sometimes I'll turn the radio off, and, man, I'll just spend time praying, and just like whatever I see, I'll be like, bam, there's a bird. Thank you, Jesus, for the birds. Man, I just keep it casual. I think there's some of us who we don't spend time studying and digging into the Scriptures anymore... Because I've heard, I've heard people that I know and love say, I've tried that, and it was just so hard that it made me feel like God was far away. And so I didn't want to feel like God was far away. So I, I just don't study the Scriptures. I sing. I really love music. I just sing a lot. I think for some of us, we have forgotten. For too many Christians, we have settled for a if-it-feels-good-do-it kind of mentality when it comes to Christianity and The church has pandered to this idea, and we've even led the way. All too often, we say, come on Sunday, we'll entertain you. And so how in the world would we expect people to set their alarm 30 minutes earlier in the morning uh, to actually prepare to spend time with the Lord, to be intentional in taking responsibility um, for growth in their life by setting time aside in in order to study Scripture and to spend time in prayer and to allow the Lord to process the issues of their heart. I mean, how in the world could we expect people to do that when we've said, come on Sunday, we'll entertain you, it's going to be great, and next Sunday is going to be even better. Because we're here to serve you. It's going to be fabulous. It's going to be fun. Come. That's, that's the marketing strategy that so many churches over the last decade or two have thrown out. We've essentially taught people to worship God it means to be entertained as you're taught truths that center on your well being and your comfort because we're going to show you how the Bible tells you that you're going to have a better life. Because guess what? Jesus came for you, and the gospel is all about you. And that's not the story of the scriptures at all. This is the story of God. God has been so gracious to us that he sent his son, Jesus, who stepped across the dividing line between heaven and earth, and that he came on our behalf and died for our sins, and that God has reached out to us when we were enemies and we were turned away. We were drowning in the sea of our sin, and it was was God who came to us. It was God who rescued us. The problem with the mindset that the scriptures, um, that if it feels good, do it, and, and that Christianity shouldn't be a struggle. The problem with that mindset is that the scriptures continually call each of us to a life of discipline and a life of denial. The scriptures continually call each of us to a life of discipline and a life of denial, 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8 says this Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Train yourself for godliness. Some translations say, Discipline yourself for godliness. While bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Train yourself, discipline yourself for godliness. Does that, feel, does that sound like if it feels good, do it? Does that sound like, hey, I'm just going to kind of casually figure out this whole God thing? Train yourself, discipline yourself for godliness. Jesus said it this way in the Gospel of Luke. Luke 9, 23 and 24, He said, and He said to all, if anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Now let me just, let me just put this in perspective. You don't have that scripture on a magnet on your refrigerator. You don't. I'd be willing to bet $1,000 that there's not an individual in this room who has this scripture on a magnet on their refrigerator. But i also be... I'm not betting, but anyhow, I could almost guarantee you that there is someone who has Jeremiah twenty nine eleven on your refrigerator. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. And there's nothing wrong with that verse except for the fact that you misinterpret it if you have it on your refrigerator. Because that verse speaks to 70 years later when God was promising that He was going to bless the next generation after that generation had set down roots amongst the vile and evil people. God was ultimately saying, You care for this sinful people. Jeremiah, you tell the people that they're to set up house here and to display my glory amongst his evil, evil people, and seventy years from now I'm gonna bring rescue and restoration. I guarantee you nobody has Luke nine, twenty-three and twenty-four. Jesus said, If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, Daily and follow me. The story of Christianity that we hear all too often in the West is that Jesus is here for you and He's going to make your life better. And listen, folks, Jesus does make our life better. He does. But as we follow Him, He calls us to live radically in such a way that it is a countercultural way of living and it brings about struggle. It brings about um, hardship at times. It even brings about persecution. You may say, well, that doesn't sound like very much fun. This is a new year. I thought we were leaving the bad behind in 2016, and we were looking with hope to 2017. And what you're describing to me, if that's the Christian life, that doesn't really sound like much fun. You know, in some ways, at least on some levels, I might agree with you. You see, At the same time, going to the gym at 6 a.m. in the morning doesn't sound like much fun either, but it yields wonderful results. I go to the gym with Matt and Jared every Tuesday and Friday, and I never want to get up at 5.45. Never. I never want to get to the gym at 6.15 and start doing some crazy workout that Matt's made up for us, but whenever I do it, it always... What does it do? It boosts my energy. It it increases my focus. It gives me overall better health. There's great results that come. Sometimes we think the Christian life is supposed to be this magical, walking-in-the-cloud sort of life that just feels so romantic and wonderful. And the truth of the matter is, it's more like working out in the gym, working our physical bodies. It's tough at times, but it brings about great results. Growing in the grace of the gospel isn't so different. It requires discipline. It yields amazing results. And Paul tells us about that. He says, put on. This is your responsibility. As you mature in Christ, put on. But look, this is where it becomes really challenging. Because look at the virtues that Paul is calling us to put on. Just, just stop and look at them for a minute. He says, it's your responsibility... To put on compassionate hearts, to put on kindness, to put on humility and meekness. Meekness is kind of an attitude that says, I don't have to be right all the time. I don't have to be out there pointing my finger at people. To put on patience, to bear with one another, because Jesus has he's been there with us. To forgive in the same way Jesus has forgiven us and to put on love. Now, some of you may hear those and you may say, you know what, I'm cool. I'm cool with making all those my resolutions. I think those are great. In fact, I think I'm even growing in some of those virtues. I, I think I'm, I'm pretty good. To go. I'm pretty patient. I'm, I'm meek. I'm humble. If you think that, one, either you're not being honest with yourself or you're just not self-aware... Here's how you can become self-aware. Have children or roommates. Either one will make you self-aware. You will begin to discover many things about yourself that you are not patient, that you are not compassionate, that you are not loving. Because children and roommates have something in common. They keep you up late. They interrupt. They're annoying at times. They don't clean up after themselves. And they bring the worst out of us. Paul is calling us to a task. He's saying, not only are we to grow in these virtues, which, if we're honest, they sound just about impossible. I mean, are you a compassionate person? Really? Are you compassionate? Like, I have to ask myself, am I compassionate? When I picked a trailer up this morning uh, in order to load in, where we store the trailer, there was a man digging through the garbage, and my first thought was, oh, my goodness, it's 6 o'clock something in the morning, and this man, is, I'm going to open this gate, and he is going to be just in my face, like, just pestering me for money. That was my first thought. My first thought was, how do I get away from this man? And he greeted me, said something to me, and I mumbled something back to him. And then as I pulled in the gate and he pushed his grocery cart away, I began to think, I have no compassion. This man is soaking wet in in a jumpsuit. He is soaking wet, digging through a garbage can in order to find things that he can sell or use. And I am thinking how uncomfortable he is going to make me, how he is going to pester me, how he is going to bother me. Paul calls this, he says, be compassionate, be patient, be meek, be kind. How do we do this? And not only is he calling us to do this, but it seems that these virtues, he's saying that they should describe our lives on a daily basis. In the same way that we would put on our clothes, that we would, he says, to put on these virtues. Or some translations say actually to clothe ourselves. And this is where it really starts to hit home for many people. Because I think the natural response, one of the reasons why I want to teach on this passage is because this, I believe this passage is impossible without the Holy Spirit. And, and one of the reasons why I want to teach on this passage is because Paul brings out virtues that I believe many of us have given up on. Too many people respond in the same way that did anyone grow up watching Popeye the Sailor Man? Yes. Okay. I'm um, Popeye the Sailor Man. This whole song he would sing. Olive oil. If you don't, if if that's before your time, you can go back, look it up. Cartoon. Popeye ate spinach. He was a really strong guy when he would eat spinach. He protected his girlfriend, olive oil. But Popeye was down on himself. He didn't have great self-confidence until he ate spinach, it seemed. And Popeye had a phrase that he would throw out and that he would use continually. Many of you know it. He would say what? what Yes. Not I am what I am. I am what I am. Which was his way of saying, I'm sorry, give me a break, this is just me. Can't do any better. I am who I am. And if we're really honest, many of you don't like New Year's resolutions. You really don't, because you've given up on the belief or the hope that you can change. It's easier to simply settle into life as is and to remain comfortable in our sin. It's always easier just to remain comfortable in our sin. But in this passage, Paul gives us encouragement that change can happen. And sometimes it's slower than we might think or even imagine. But I think he helps us as he he uses this word to put on or clothe yourselves. He's given us a metaphor or a clue as to how we can grow in maturity in Christ. Put on clothe yourselves. In a sense, he's saying that these virtues should become second nature in our life, that they should become a a part of our ethos, which is just who we are and what we do, second nature. So first nature is breathing and your heart is pumping. You don't think about those things at all. Well, you're thinking about them now, but you don't usually think about them. You're only thinking about them because I said them. But second nature is things like brushing your teeth, Now, they haven't always been second nature, right? We're still working on that with our children. Some of our kids would brush their teeth once a week if we did not remind them, but it becomes second nature at some point. But think about about this metaphor that Paul used. He says, all these virtues that seem impossible, that we're to put on, that we're to be responsible for, think about way back in life, your earliest memories. Think about when mom our dad, would lay your clothes out for you on the bed. They would say, okay, I've picked something out for you. It's on the bed. Go and get dressed. Can you remember the times when you struggled to get dressed? Like, like you look down and you realize, <clears throat> how do you, my underwear is on backwards. That's uncomfortable. Um, you probably didn't think that as a kid. You probably didn't care. I can remember tube socks. Uh, we grew, I grew up in an era where we wore the long tube socks. They'd come up to your knee, and they had stripes at the top. You know, so which was kind of annoying because the red one had to go with the red one. I was fine with the blue and yellow one with the with the green, but mom, no, you, know, you got to do the red and the red. So, well, tube socks were nearly impossible. The heel would always land on the top of my foot. Anyone? Yes. And then I had a natural talent that when I put that shirt on, I know the tag was in the back. But when mom came and checked it. Somehow it made its way to the front. You got your shirt on backwards. Ugh. I've even seen kids, this is true, I have seen kids who managed to put their pants on backwards. I do not even know how that is possible humanly, but they figure it out away. Pants on backwards. What? My, oh, my pants are on backwards. Okay. Getting dressed is hard when you're a kid. True? Yes, you remember that? If you've ever tried to wrestle a baby are a toddler into footy pajamas, you know that like <clears throat> you, you just have to walk away sometimes, have to walk away. It's difficult, but it gets easier, doesn't it? Because I know high schoolers and college students who, they will set an alarm five minutes before they have to be in class, and they will jump up, throw on their pants, T-shirt, hat, flip-flops, grab a Pop-Tart on the way out the door, and have two minutes left to spare. And somehow make it to class. Like, it gets easier along the way, right? Given time, things get easier. And I think the same is true in the Christian life. That given time, these virtues begin to sink in. And Paul gives us direction in verse 16 as to how that happens. Look at what he says. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. How does the Word of Christ dwell in us? Paul says, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. I think there's two ways primarily the Word of Christ dwells in us. The first is it's modeled by others. Paul would continually say to Timothy and others, follow me as I follow Christ. And uh, we don't do a good job of that in the church today. We don't spend time together, life on life. We're scared. Oh, don't 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 look at me. Don't look at me. I'm 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 a. i am i am i am got some areas. I got some virtues that I'm working on: compassion and patience and humility. Don't look at me. Paul continually says, "Follow me as I follow Christ." We need a model. We're not perfect, but as we follow Jesus. For those of us who have been... How long have you been saved? I trusted Jesus as a young child. And through God's grace, He's grown me over the years. He's matured me. There ought to be something that I have to share. There ought to be something that you have to share with those who are newer believers that you can model for them. So the first way that we allow the Word of Christ to dwell in us richly is that we model it. But the second way... I believe it's through daily and weekly rhythms of worship. Daily and weekly rhythms of worship. Rhythms that are private and rhythms that are public. Public worship, like we're at today, a Sunday gathering, a missional community that meets throughout the week with, with friends, a coffee group, just three or four who are studying the Bible. I think it's in those seemingly ordinary and Many times and often mundane rhythms that we slowly over time grow in the grace of Jesus. Don't even see it happening. I think we also grow through our private worship, through our devotions, through spiritual disciplines. Now this may sound really basic and ordinary, but I want to challenge and encourage you that if you desire to grow in the grace of Jesus that the simple discipline of saying i'm going to faithfully worship Jesus on a daily basis on a weekly basis on a monthly basis on a quarterly basis that i'm going to i'm just going to i'm going to begin by showing up it's the very first step in leadership just be faithful and i want to challenge you that you would that you would make it a priority this year to say, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be faithful just to show up. On Sundays, I'm going to be faithful to show up throughout the week at Missional Community. I'm going to be faithful to make this a priority in my life because I need to grow in these virtues. I need to be reminded. I need my heart to be encouraged. It's amazing how when we actually show up, how faith springs up in our heart. One of the ways I want to challenge you to consider this in this new year is that you would show up in especially in private devotions. One of the ways that I have um, over the years spent time allowing the Word of Christ to dwell in me richly is through the process of journaling. And journaling involves... uh, For me, getting up a little earlier and reading in the Scriptures, writing down observations, sometimes just journaling about my life. Uh, I keep prayer requests. Um, I keep little note cards that many of your names are on and others are on in the front of my Bible, and I pray for different people, different missional communities, different missionaries, different prayer requests on different days of the week. But that I'm intentional in having a plan and a time. Last night I grabbed a stack of my journals and I took a picture of them. And uh, that's a stack of, of journals that I have filled up over the last um, 12 or 15 years, just jotting down what I'm reading, my observations, what God is doing, and how he's at work. It enables me to be intentional in my growth. It enables me to engage and for my mind not to wander away because I can tend to be a little ADD at times. And journaling is something that has provided a discipline for me. Yes, it takes time. No, it's not always enjoyable. But I can look back at my journals and I can see evidence of God's grace. It enables me to really engage and look back and see I am growing in the virtues that God's called me to grow in. Public worship and private worship. Paul is saying that these seemingly ordinary rhythms of worship on a daily and a weekly basis. In a sense, they, I believe, are the exercises, if you will, that enable us to mature in the ways of Jesus and to become more like Jesus, to look like he would if he lived in Midtown, if he walked in your shoes. That's something I want to encourage you to think about. How would Jesus live your life if he lived in Midtown, where you live, if he lived where you live in 2017? How would he live? And then pursue Him. The truth of the gospel is that you really can change. That's what the gospel tells us, that there's nothing in our lives that's so deeply entrenched that it can't be rooted out by the power of the gospel. We find hope in Jesus because... The gospel tells us that there is no besetting sin that we experience, no, no sin that's so strong that it cannot be defeated by the power of the gospel, that there's no weakness so great that it can't be overcome, that God raised His Son from the dead, and that same power that is at work in Jesus' life is at work in us. And so the gospel helps us to see clearly I am who I am, but because of the grace of Jesus, who I am is not all I am. You may need to lose some weight this year, or you may need to put on some muscle. You may need to get out of debt, or you may need to find a new job. You may need to find a significant other, or you may need to let go of a bad habit. But that's not all you need. The gospel calls us... To more than simply resolutions one time a year, the gospel calls us to daily change in all of life. Now, anyone who listens to this and says, that's just a bunch of hubbub to me, right? I, anyone who says, I hate New Year's resolutions because the truth is nothing ever really changes. It's just a lot of fuss for nothing. The gyms are going to fill up for maybe three weeks, but just give it a little time. Everything will go back to normal. Everybody will settle back into their old ruts. Just give people a few weeks, maybe for the self-motivated, for the highly disciplined. It might take a couple of months, but mark my words, everyone will just slide back into that same old rut. So what's the point? Why not just forget it? To these people, I would say you're partially right. But the Christian must never adopt this view. Soren Kierkegaard's wonderful prayer summarizes it well. He says, and now, Lord, with your help, I shall become myself. His prayer is reflecting the vision that God is calling us to become the person he had in mind when he originally designed us. That the gospel has saved us and that God has plans prepared in advance that we would walk in them. And as we let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis, on a yearly basis, we begin to discover that change, it actually is taking place. Sometimes it's so slow that we're unable to see the growth, but nonetheless, growth and change is happening. And so hope still exists. For those who would say, yeah, that all sounds good, but I just don't have the motivation. Then I would encourage you to go back to the scriptures and to look at how Paul began in verse 12. Put on then, don't miss it, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. The gospel calls us to change, And it calls us to change, uh, not in order for us to experience holiness, but the gospel calls us to change because Jesus has brought about change in our lives. Through his death and resurrection, the gospel tells us now that God looks at us and he calls us holy and he calls us beloved. That God not only likes you, but dear one, he loves you. And he has desires for you. He desires that you'd spend time with him, that you'd come to know him, that you would drink deeply of the truths that he has to offer us in this new year. As you think about what it means to put on these virtues, and as you meditate on how you can let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I'm going to invite the band to to come up, and I want to invite you during the next few minutes that we have together that you would spend this time as a time that you would meditate, but that you wouldn't meditate in the sense that you would clear your heart or clear your mind, but that you would actually allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. See, God is active, and He's at work He's at work through the teaching and His Word. He's at work in our hearts and in our lives. And He desires to speak to you today. He desires for your life in 2017 to look more like Jesus than it's ever looked before. And He knows that you don't have the power within you to make that happen. And so He's given us the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit would be our guide, that He would be our instructor. And that as we follow the Holy Spirit, that He would give us power to actually see real change take place in our lives as we live out these rhythms of worship and study and prayer and community and iron sharpening iron. And the gospel would grow us up. And so I've got a couple of questions that as you respond, that we want to spend these next few minutes, not just this is not the time that we sing the last song, okay? The song is here in order that it would give us space for meditation and space for the Holy Spirit to work because we know that God is at work in our lives. A couple of questions for you to consider. In what aspect of your life have you given up? In what aspect of your life are you hopeless? What part of your life with God have you said, that's just my personality, Um, that's just my past experience, I'm never going to change. What part of your life do you need through a vision of the gospel of God's grace in your life to open up your heart to the Holy Spirit's work and say, I'm going to take a risk and I'm going to pray with believing and with imaginary faith that in 2017 that this virtue in my life, this aspect of my life can look different, that I can actually look more like Jesus. To the rhythm of worship and His community, and the Holy Spirit does it work within me? What aspect of your life have you given up on that, that you need to give to God, that you need to repent? And then second, what's one way the Holy Spirit is directing you to, to let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in 2017? See, there's a lot of things that we could have talked about today, and if we really want to see Memphis change, we talked about... Um, just the murder rate earlier and how that's even affected some who are close to us in our family, and we all know the, the poverty and the hurt, and it's not just in the city, but there's plenty of sin in the suburbs as well, and the struggle that exists in this city, and if we desire to see change take place in 2017, if we really desire that, do you believe that can happen? Because if you do, allowing Christ to dwell in you richly is so much more powerful than coming up with a lot of great ideas, a lot of great resolutions that you're going to try to accomplish. See, if you allow the Word of Christ to dwell in you richly, God has plans prepared in advance that we would walk in them that are far bigger and that are far better than anything we could dream up on our own. If we'll be a people who commit to say, Jesus, I want the Word of Christ to dwell in me richly, Then when we see a man digging through a garbage can, that compassion will begin to spring up in our hearts. And we'll see not an opportunity for someone to ask us for money, but we'll see an opportunity to share the gospel of God's grace with someone who is in need. We'll love them, share a kind word, see change take place, not only in their hearts, but also in ours. That's the power of the gospel at work in us. Let's pray together. Jesus, during this time of response, our prayer is that you would come and that you would interact with us through the person of the Holy Spirit. Father, we pray that you would um, speak to us in intimate, personal ways. God, I pray for those who are just really clear on an area in their heart. I mean, they didn't even have to think about it. You didn't even have to think about it an aspect where you have just said, I just that's just not who I am. I just give up. I'm tired of trying. God, I pray that you would allow faith to spring up, even this morning, that you, Holy Spirit, would bring about courage in their hearts and in their lives, that they would, in a new way, allow you to be at work and to change them through your gospel and through your grace. Father, I pray that we would be a people who don't underestimate the power of the gospel at work in our hearts and in our lives, then we would be a people who are rich in the gospel. And as a result, that we are rich in grace as the way that your grace has poured into our hearts and it is poured out on this city and on this world. Father, I pray for anyone here this morning who doesn't know you. And God, I pray that they might have a personal encounter with you. They had come to believe that they had turned their heart over to you, that they would repent and say, Jesus, I need you. Would you save me? And that you'd give them life even this day. Father, be at work in our midst. Holy Spirit, move now as we respond and as we sing. In Jesus' name we pray.